Thanks for joining us today at City Life. We believe today's message will empower you and point you towards Jesus. But remember that church is so much more than a message you listen to. It's a living, breathing community that we invite you to be a part of. We hope to see you on a Sunday morning at City Life, in person or online. We are continuing the series Kingdom. Everybody just say Kingdom. Helps me know you're alive. You're with me. You're ready to go. Awesome. Then I know you're not just a bunch of beautiful cardboard cutouts out in the, in the audience there or online. So it's great. Well, we are going to jump into things. I'm really excited. We're talking about kingdom. Welcome to the real world is the tagline. And, uh, you know, by real world, we simply mean just this, that there is a very real yet admittedly invisible kingdom God is working in. Uh, that, that is at work in our tangible reality, the day-to-day stuff. There is a bigger reality at work, and that's really important. And so we're going to spend some time in that, and we're going through the book of Matthew. Uh, hands up if you've read the book of Matthew, just out of curiosity. See, interesting. Helps me know who I work with. Some of you have, it's like half, maybe a little more than half. Read the book of Matthew, guys. Read your Bible. Always a good thing. Uh, the, the kids, the Voltage kids, I'm one of our kids' pastors, and so the Voltage kids are finishing up uh, their Bible challenge for the month. They read the book of Matthew, which is really awesome. And, you know, they got to, like, fill in the blanks and stuff. I already had some handed in today to me. And, you know, just their insights are awesome. Just little comments they're making. They're not just reading, checking off. It's like they're actually, like, absorbing it. So read Matthew, because that's what we're going through in this series. And so... Matthew is the first gospel, and gospel just simply means good news. Just say good news. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. And so Matthew is the first of four accounts, and his is a first-person account. Okay, Matthew was there walking through this, seeing all of this. And I, I'm just going to say, when I think of Matthew, like, it's, it's helpful to think of, like, a real person doing this. So when I think of Matthew, I think of this. You can see this picture. But this is The Chosen. If you haven't watched The Chosen, it's amazing. Okay, so that's Matthew. That's Jesus. And I, I mean, I always hype this show, but I will never stop because it is maybe one of the greatest tools right now, I believe, Um, available to us to get a bigger perspective on Jesus and what it would have been like to follow him at that time. Watch The Chosen. It's free. You can download the app, get it. I get no royalties from saying that. So (laughs) I just am a legitimate huge fan. Anyway, so I think of Matthew as that when when I see him. And so Matthew is a Jew, and he is writing this, this account to other Jews. I mean, it's for all of us, but he's specifically writing to his fellow Jews, and he is saying, you guys, the Messiah... You know, the Messiah, the rescuer, the savior of the world that we have been waiting for for hundreds of years that have been prophesied for so long, he's actually here. Like, we don't miss it. It happened. It's real, and and he's here. I saw it. I was there when he did the things that that I wrote about in here. I was there when he said those things. Like, I was taking notes, standing beside him, hearing him drop these truth bombs. And so the focus of Matthew is to strengthen and encourage Christians who are suffering in persecution. Not to remove them from it, but to say, hey, in the midst of what you're going through, let me encourage you, let me remind you, uh, and prove to you that Jesus is king, that he is the Jewish Messiah, the Savior, the Rescuer, and in him is the fullness of the kingdom of God. He's making a big statement, and so this is a statement I'm going to say lots throughout. This is kind of my main point, if you're a main point person. Jesus is king, we are his subjects, and we should submit, obey, and advance his kingdom. 
That, I believe, is what Matthew is really trying to get across to us. And so Matthew documents and emphasizes an upside-down nature of a servant king who totally was different than what people were expecting or thought they were waiting for, and how we as Christ followers, we have access to an upside-down power through this upside-down kingdom. And it's presented to us. You know, we, we gain honor by serving. It's upside down. Instead of seeking revenge, we forgive. We gain wealth by giving it away. We, as we mature in our faith, we actually become more childlike. Right. It's upside down. And so today I'm going to focus on Matthew chapter 14 to 20. I was like, oh, okay, I got seven chapters. Well, then let me take you through a guided tour of the book of Matthew. And we're going to look at a few things, a few key things Jesus did or said over these seven chapters that point towards uh, his kingdom and his upside down power. In uh, Matthew 14, we see the feeding of the 5,000, which is an incredible story. Read it for yourself or go watch The Chosen. Season three, the feeding of the 5,000, where you can see it portrayed in a beautiful way, uh, where Jesus takes five loaves, two fish, and he feeds thousands of people. He's creating something from nothing. Hey, spoiler alert, only God can create something from nothing, aka, or whatever that would be. That means Jesus is God. He was, do he was demonstrating, I am not just some nice guy, I am God. Right after that, Jesus walks on the water. An incredible story. You can read it for yourself. Or you can watch season three of The Chosen, <laughs> where it's portrayed. And it's very dark, but that's all right. It's, it's amazing. You got to watch this. Oh, it's so good, you guys. Like, I wish I could literally, like, if you haven't watched, I, I actually would wish I could, like, come over and, like, strap you to your chair or in your living room and be like, watch this. And then you can thank me profusely after, okay? All right. But, you know, walking on water, the Jewish people, they, the sea was a terrifying place, okay? They're all through the scriptures, we see them talking about how the water represented man's lack of control and unconquerable evil. And what was Jesus doing? He was the only one who was not a victim of the sea. He was showing, nothing can stop me. I am greater than this greatest evil that you would connect with. And so this story is included. Matthew includes this story to Jewish readers because they get it. They get when they think about the sea and stuff, they're like, you're telling me that this Jesus guy is greater than what we would document or what we would um, connect with as the greatest fear, the greatest representation of evil. That's huge. And so Matthew is recording all these incidents as evidence that Jesus is not just a prophet or a nice man. Jesus is the king of the universe, creator of all things, ruler of all things. In him is the fullness of the kingdom of God. And for us to remember that Jesus is king, we are his subjects, and we should submit, obey, and advance his kingdom. He continues on into Matthew 15. You read chapter 15. Matthew continues documenting very interesting interactions, miracles, a very weird conversation with a Canaanite woman that you got to read and be like, what does that mean? I might need to do some digging. That was a weird interaction. And then the feeding of the 4,000. You're like, wait, didn't we just have that? These are actual different occurrences. It's not like they scripted wrong and whoops, I just wrote it again. They're different occurrences, which I find really funny because the exact same thing happens. Like, all these people are hungry, and Jesus is like, feed them. And they're like, we don't have enough food to feed them. And he's like, are you kidding me? Like, we just did this. You, don't you remember what, we ju what just happened? But that's what we do. That's what humans do. We forget what's important. It's actually not very hard for us to forget the things of Jesus, the things that matter in this world. I'm guilty of that. You're guilty of that. I think these last few years have proven 
that showed the evidence of that. You know, it's hard. It's like we couldn't be at church for a long time. And the reality was it was a struggle to make sure, am I staying connected personally, but also community-wise and stuff like that? And, you, you know, unfortunately, some people tapered off. And many haven't returned. And, you know, I, you know, I reach out to people. And, you know, there was a conversation where it was just like, hey, I'm just wondering, like, are you, are you coming back? And the response, very polite, very nice, was just, oh, you know what, that's, that's just not a priority for us anymore. And to me, that broke my heart. I was like, Jesus isn't a priority anymore? He was. What happened? We forget. We can forget. Something as amazing as that, we can forget it. And we don't want to forget that Jesus is king, that we are his subjects, and that we should submit, obey, and advance his kingdom. And Jesus knew his disciples might forget. And he gives us chances to remember and to get deeper revelation. And so in chapter 16, in Matthew 16, Jesus asks a very important question. Maybe one of the most important questions he ever asks or could ask. It's a question that Peter was forced to answer. And it's a question you must answer as well. Matthew 16, starting in verse 13, it says this uh, to his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? And the disciples answered, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then he's like, okay, okay, okay. But you, who do you say that I am? And Peter, who's always probably the first to speak and jump in, but he actually gets it right. Sometimes he jumps in, he's not right. You are the anointed one. You are the son of the living God. And so Jesus responds, responds, Simon, son of Jonah, your knowledge is a mark of blessing. For you didn't learn this truth from your friends or from teachers or from sages you've met on the way or on TikTok. No, you learned it from my father in heaven. This is why I've called you Peter, which means rock. For on this rock, I will build my church. The church will reign triumphant even at the gates of hell. Peter, I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven. That's what we're talking about. Kingdom of heaven. So here you go. Here's the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. There's a whole message right in there. That's huge. And Jesus is asking us the same question. Who do you say that I am? Not who does your pastor say I am? Who does TikTok say I am? Who do you say I am? And whether you want to or not, you have an answer. You display your answer by your words, your confession, but also by your life. Anybody can say Jesus is king. But does your life imply it? Does your life say Jesus is central to everything I do? He is what I'm all about. Does my life display that in many different ways in the way I interact with the person at the grocery store or show forgiveness to my family member or do this or, you know, the time I spend with Jesus? Or does my life imply Jesus isn't a priority? Because just showing up on a Sunday, get a little bit of Jesus talk, forget about them the rest of the week. That's, that was me as a teenager. I, my life did not imply that Jesus was my priority. And as Jesus tells Peter... The true revelation of that answer, who, does, who, do you, who do you say that I am? The true revelation can only come from God himself. You can't figure it out on your own. Nobody and nothing else can answer this for you. It has to come from a deep revelation. I get it. God has shown me. I know who Jesus is. Jesus is king. We are his subjects. 
we should submit, obey, and advance his kingdom. And Jesus gives Peter the keys to the kingdom of heaven. I don't know exactly all that that means, but that's pretty crazy to think. Like, when you understand who Jesus is, you gain access to this upside-down power of the kingdom of God. But it has to start with, I get it, like, I, I have at least some understanding. Jesus, you are who you say you are, and I'm going to follow you. And that unlocks a life with upside-down power that will impact you, will impact your family, will impact everyone you connect with as you start to live out of it. And so, you know, he's talking, it's like what you bind on earth is bound in heaven. What you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. And really, it's Jesus talking like this marriage of two realities. This earthly, tangible reality that we live in, that we just, it's, all, it's what we see with this inv invisible, miraculous, new creation reality coming together and saying, now you can do things you couldn't do before by my power. That sounds like some serious upside-down power to me. He continues on, uh, so Matthew continuing to just document this journey with Jesus, chapter 17. Jesus continues to reveal his power and authority, and Matthew documents more miracles, and a very odd moment called the Transfiguration, where just a few disciples witnessed Jesus transformed into light, talking with Moses and Elijah on the hill, and they're like, is this really happening? Are we having an acid trip? What is going on right now? This really happened, and it's, what is, the, what is the implications of this? I don't know fully. All I know is I believe the Word of God, and I believe that Matthew documented it, because he was like, we need to, you need to get how big a deal Jesus is. He's not just some nice guy. He is above and beyond. He is God. He is king. He is everything. So now we're going to look at the next three chapters, and this is where we're going to spend some time. Matthew 18 to 20. And in Matthew 18, they are, it starts off, they are gathered in a house in Galilee, Jesus' home turf, and they're there all together, and they're talking, and just whatever they're talking about, but, you know, Matthew and all the others, they are there with him, right? Matthew, again, I can see him just sitting there, always got his little notepad out. What's he going to say? What's he going to do? They've seen him do miracles. They've seen uh, all these incredible things happen. They've heard his stories. They've heard his explanations that are like, oh, I'm so glad I wrote that down because I got to look at my notes like 20 times. I'm very glad Matthew wrote that down, by the way, for us. And so it, they're starting to understand this kingdom of heaven. And then the disciples ask Jesus one question, which actually sparks an entire sermon from him. All of Matthew 18 is just a response that comes out of this one question. And so in uh, Matthew 18, uh, verse 1, the disciple says, In the kingdom of heaven, so let's talk kingdom of heaven. I want to understand this. Okay, I'm getting it a bit. But in the kingdom of heaven, who is the greatest? Now, I'm not quite sure exactly what he's what they're really trying to get at. Is it like, what do I need to do to be the greatest? Are they just trying to understand how the order works or whatever their reasoning is in the kingdom of heaven, who is the greatest? And so Jesus, what does he do? He calls over a child. Cody, come here. Come here. You're going to be my example. This is my niece. Okay, this is Cody. Okay, Cody. So Jesus, you know, all these disciples... That's a lot of people. No. <laughs> <laughs> so Jesus is gathered with a house full of people. And they're like, who's going to be the greatest? And so he calls over a kid. Hi. Hi. <laughs> and he puts a hand on the top of the child's head. And he says this. This is the truth. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. 
in that kingdom, the most humble who are most like this child are the greatest. It's all these disciples sitting there, you know, many of them professional businessmen, uh, every, you know, all, just every range are looking and he's saying, here you go. This is what you need to do. This is who you need to be. And they're like, uh, I'm not this short anymore. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a kid anymore. He's saying, I know, but this is what it's all about. Thank you, Cody. Okay. So way to go, Cody. You're so brave. Jesus is king. We are his subjects. We should submit, obey, and advance his kingdom. Well, how do we do this? Matthew tells us that true kingdom power, this upside-down power, is found in humility and childlike faith. That was not the answer they might have been looking for. What, humility, childlike faith, what does that really mean? But kids are, man, kids are hungry for God. Like, they are so open. I, I love being a kid's pastor. I love you guys. I would, I would rather be over there. I love being with the kids. I, I do. I love you. But... There is just like hunger for, that these kids have. So thank you, parents, for bringing your kids to church, and please keep bringing them. Uh, this is amazing. And thank you for what you're doing at home, by the way, because it's not just uh, how do we help our kids learn, just send them to church. No, like thank you for what you're doing throughout the week, helping them read the book of Matthew, helping them just answering questions, learning, growing, modeling, all of those things. Kids are hungry for God, and they are open and ready. And we need to be like that too, a childlike faith, not childish. I am admittedly childish as well, but that is not a God thing. That's, that's just me being immature. But childlike is a beautiful thing. Childlike in our faith is a very beautiful, beautiful thing. In fact, Bill Johnson says this. He says, there are certain aspects of the kingdom that can only open up when you are in childlike trust. So you're actually missing out if you're not embracing the childlike faith of following Jesus. And that is upside down and contrary to our world. And Jesus knows that this breaks our brains. So, out of this question and out of that answer with a kid, he launches into a full sermon about the kingdom. And they, these are not fluffy pump-up pieces, by the way. These are stark realities he's sharing of what it costs to believe that Jesus is king, we are his subjects, we should submit, obey, and advance his kingdom. So let's look at just some of the key points in this chapter. He launches into this sermon, uh, starting in verse 8. He just goes for it right away. If your hand constantly grasps at the things of this world rather than serves the kingdom, cut it off and throw it away. Cool. If your foot is always leading you to wander, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to hobble, crippled, into the kingdom of life than to burn in hell with two hands and two feet. Oh, Jesus tell it to us straight. <laughs> By the way, hell's real. Jesus is not afraid to say that. There are consequences. And if your eye always causes, always focuses on things that cause you to sin, pull your eye out, throw it away. That's super gross. It is better for you to see the kingdom of life with one eye than to see the fires of hell with perfect sight. I actually see a lot of humility in that. Imagine if we actually had to do that. Like I for sure would look like a pirate up here. For sure. <laughs> Uh, it would be awful, but it would also be like, oh, look, these humble people that actually did what Jesus said. But it, it is a humility in our heart. It's like, can I, can I get rid of what I need to in order to properly follow? I would rather hobble crippled into the kingdom of life than look like I have it all together, but be a mess on the inside. 
so difficult. Jesus goes on in, in this chapter to talk about different things. He talks about uh, coming to save the lost and how, you know, a hundred sheep, one of them is lost. He will leave the 99 to go get the one and bring it back. How being a kingdom subject requires that we see the lost and we value the forgotten. Jesus talks about confronting other believers when they sin against you. You start privately, one-on-one, and if that doesn't work well, you bring some friends. Hey, we got to talk about this. That doesn't work. Bring them before the church. That doesn't work. Kick them out of the community. Dang. Being a kingdom subject requires confrontation, not to humiliate or exclude, but to humble and stir to repentance. Sometimes we got to do the hard things to help people. He, uh, in Matthew 18, 20, he says this, For when two or three gather together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Being a kingdom subject requires community. And doing life together isn't always easy. In fact, as he's sharing all this, Peter, as he's prone to do, interrupts Jesus. He's like, oh, Rabbi, I have a question. I have a question. And, uh, you know, he's going to bring up a personal question. He's probably working through some of his own forgiveness issues. I can imagine some of those issues. Maybe even point directly towards the author, Matthew. They're sitting in a room together. Matthew is a tax collector. Peter hated tax collectors. All, all Jewish people did. It might even have been his personal tax collector. We don't know. That's how they beautifully documented in The Chosen, if you want to watch The Chosen. <laughs> but it does. It makes you think. It's like, what if these people actually knew each other before? You're like, oh man, I had a bad business deal with that person sitting across the aisle from me. And, da, da, da. and yet we're all together supposed to worship, follow Jesus together? I can't sit by that person. I can't sit in the same section of them in this church. because, Like, that's crazy to think. That Jesus is just like, come together. Anyways, so Peter asks this question. He says in uh, verse 21, he says this. Uh, let me get it so I can follow along too. In 21, he says this. Um, where did it go? There we are. Lord, when someone has sinned against me, how many times ought I forgive him? Once, twice, as many as seven times? Oh, I'm feeling good. I could do it seven times. And Jesus is like, you must forgive not seven times, but 70 times seven. That's a lot. And Jesus uses this question. It's like, okay, if you want to talk forgiveness, here, I got a story for you, and I'm going to read this story to you. Jesus says this, if you want to understand the kingdom of heaven, that's what this whole conversation was about. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? We're trying to understand. He says, okay, so this is probably something worth paying attention to. If you want to understand the kingdom of heaven, think about a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Just as the king began to get his accounts in order, his assistants called... Uh, his attention to a slave who owed a huge sum to him, what a laborer might make in 500 lifetimes. Dang, that's a lot. The slave, maybe an embezzler, had no way to make any restitution, so the king ordered that he, his wife, their children, and everything the family owned be sold on the auction block. The proceeds from the slave sale would go towards paying back the king. Upon hearing this judgment, the slave fell down, prostrated himself before the king, and begged for mercy. Have mercy on me. I will somehow pay you back everything. The king was moved by the pathos of the situation. So indeed, he took pity on the servant, told him to stand up, and forgave the debt. Oh, that'd be a great place to stop the story. But unfortunately, it continues. But the slave went and found a friend... So he's freed from all this. This is great. He finds a friend, another slave, who owed him about 100 days' wages. Pay me back that money, shouted the slave, throttling his friend and shaking him with threats and violence. The slave's friend fell down prostrate and begged for mercy. Have mercy on me. I will somehow pay you everything. 
But the first slave cackled and was hard-hearted and refused to hear his friend's plea. He found a magistrate and, when his friend, and had his friend thrown into prison, where, he said, you will sit until you can pay me back. The other servants saw what was going on. They were upset, so they went to the king and told him everything that had happened. You probably see where this is going to go. The king summoned the slave, the one who had owed so much money, the one whose debt the king had forgiven. The king was livid. You slovenly scum, he said, seething with anger. You begged me to forgive your debt, and I did. What would be the faithful response to such latitude and generosity? Surely you should have shown the same charity to a friend who was in your debt. The king turned over the unmerciful slave to his brigade of torturers, and they had their way with him until he should pay his whole debt. And, and then Jesus wraps this up, and they're all just like, dang. And then he says this, and that is what my father in heaven will do to you, Ugh. unless you forgive each of your brothers and each of your sisters from the very cockles of your heart. Which is a weird phrase, but I had to look that one up. I was like, I've never really heard that one before, but it's just a phrase that simply means the very deepest part of you. Unless you can do this, you're going to throw it all the way. Man, that's hard to hear. Like, Jesus paid your debt. He forgives you. He is willing to give you a new start. And we all are like, I could never pay back what I've done to you, Jesus, and the life I've lived, or whatever, how good, bad, whatever it was. I could never pay that back. And he says, I know. I release you from debt of sin, shame, death, all of these things. But if you don't extend that same love and forgiveness to others, you throw it away and you block your own blessing. Like, there are implications. He's saying, you can't just receive from me and then go do whatever you want. You can't do that. That's not how my kingdom works. And if you want to understand the kingdom, he says, forgiveness and modeling what Jesus did. We got to remember, Jesus is king. We are his subjects. We should submit, obey, and advance his kingdom. And that ends Jesus' sermon in that chapter. Started with, who will be the greatest? Jesus takes it to the farthest point. Holy cow, that's hard. And now, we used to have a slogan here at church, making it easy for people to say yes to Jesus. In many ways, it was great. You know, we want to make it easy to be in church, find family, point towards Jesus. But we realized that might not be the best thing to say because saying yes, I'm all in, being part of God's kingdom and family will never be easy. It might be simple. Like, really? I can start with a prayer? Really? I can do that? It's simple in many ways, but it's not easy. Is it worth it? Yes. Is it easy? No. Jesus tells us to be humble and childlike, and only then will we be able to, be, to do what he's asking and believe what he's saying, that Jesus is king, we are his subjects, and we should submit, obey, and advance his kingdom. So then Jesus leaves, jumps into 19, a few, few wrap-up things we're going to do here. Matthew 19, Jesus leaves Galilee, and he goes to Judea, and he says this. Uh, it says, then a young man came to Jesus. The young man says, teacher, what good deed can I do to assure myself eternal life? And Jesus says, strange, you should ask me what is good. There's only one who is good. If you want to participate in the divine life, obey the commandments. Well, which commandments in particular, he asks. Well, to begin with, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. The young man says, I've kept all those commandments faithfully. What else do I need to do? Jesus says, okay, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give all your money to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. The young man went away very sad because he was very wealthy indeed. This is the truth, Jesus says. It is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, he's not talking about just like how much money you have. He's talking about like the difficulty of just giving up what we have. Yes, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples hearing this were stunned. Who then can be saved? Jesus says, people cannot save themselves, but with God, all things are possible. 
Jesus is showing there is a cost to following him. Please also note that Jesus is king. He is not your desperate boyfriend. He is not a desperate boyfriend where the, the rich young ruler turned away. And Jesus did not go, whoa, wait, wait, okay, sorry, no, uh, oh, wait, 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 um, um, how, about, how about just half of what you have? Just sell half. No, is that, is, would that be okay? Would you follow me then? If, you know, how about you just give just a little donation? Give something to the food bank, you can follow me. It's great, that's all you need to do. No, Jesus is not a desperate boyfriend. He lays out what is required, and it's up to us. He wants you to come to him, but he will not force you. And if you walk away, he lets you. And so he turns back to his followers. He tells them, there's reward for sacrificing for me, for making earthly reality, reality secondary and putting in a kingdom first. And then he says this in verse 30, many of those who are the first will be last and those who are the last will be first. And in Matthew 20, there are many other things he does, but Jesus shares another story you can read about a wealthy landowner that just punctuates the point of how Jesus will do what he wants. He'll bring in who he wants. He'll, he'll handle things the way he wants, whether it seems fair to you or not. And then Jesus leaves towards Jerusalem on a road to Good Friday, to Easter. He won't be coming back from that. Well, he will, but different. Where everything's going to change when he gets to Jerusalem. And James and John get their mom. You guys, these grown men. Get their mom to come and talk to Jesus for them. <laughs> ask him, ask him, ask him. And they say, you know, will you give my son special treatment on your left and right in the kingdom of heaven? They're asking for special treatment. Of course, the other disciples get upset, and Jesus is like, all right, group huddle. This is what he says. Do you want the kingdom run like the Romans run their kingdom? Their rulers have great power over the people, but God the Father doesn't play by the Romans' rules. This is the kingdom's logic. Whoever wants to become great must first make himself a servant. Whoever wants to be first must bind himself as a slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And that is what he will do. And what we'll hear about in the coming weeks as we lead up to Easter. Going to die the worst possible death, be sacrificed for our sin, make a way for new life and restored relationship. And how a bloody beaten man, a suffering servant that was prophesied in detail hundreds of years earlier, will be our Messiah, our Savior, our Rescuer, our King. Jesus is king. We are his subjects. We should submit, obey, and advance his kingdom. Can we stand up? I wonder today, are you like the disciples, or the disciples' mom, asking, how can I be the greatest in the kingdom? Where do I fall in this? What does this look like? What's in it for me? Or however they're asking. We're missing the point. The greatness in God's kingdom means turning your life upside down. His kingdom and the power, the prestige, all these things you might crave, it's actually an upside-down power that comes from an upside-down kingdom. His kingdom is simple. It's childlike. It's humble. It's backwards. You know, I was, I've been listening to a song all week. It's called Simple Kingdom by Cody Carnes. highly recommend you listen to it. To me, that was like the theme, ver theme song for just w what I'm reading here, but talking all about that. Your kingdom is simple. Your kingdom is humble. Your kingdom is backwards. And, beautiful. So Matthew, to sum this up, makes a clear case. In the midst of suffering and persecution, don't lose sight, don't lose heart, don't forget what it's all about. Be humble, be childlike, count the cost, show forgiveness, be grateful, and determine in your heart, who do you say Jesus is? 
We're going to pray. Can we just close our eyes? Who do you say Jesus is? Where do you fit in this upside-down kingdom? And I just want to invite us. I'm just going to pray, and I want to invite you to just join me as we pray a prayer, really making Jesus the leader of our life, submitting to that authority. And so if you want to do that today, I invite you to just pray with me and say, Jesus, I receive your lordship in my life. Thank you for the price you paid, for the life you lived, for all that you modeled, for dying on a cross, coming back to life, to make all things new in me. I want to follow you. I believe you are king. I am your subject, and I will submit. I will obey, and I will advance his kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope today's message encouraged you. If you want to take your next step in saying yes to Jesus, you can always contact us at cty.lc slash next step or fill out the next step section on the City Life app. It's an honor to play a small part in what God is doing in your life. We look forward to connecting with you soon.